This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, a Fantasy NBA Dynasty Podcast. I am your host, Rhett Bauer, coming to you with another episode looking back at the deadline, but more so about the sort of risers and fallers we've seen now that we are almost two months into it. And we're kind of getting into silly season if we're not firmly in there already. But I wanted to take this time to look at some of the performances we've seen uh in between early February to now before we really start getting some crazy tanking and benchings and just general silliness. Um, Some of these lines, some of this production is actually fairly legitimate. There's obviously going to be some exceptions, but there's some interesting takeaways that I want to get into. But before we do, please make sure you rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out Um, trying to get back to doing this too every two weeks and so far we are two for two on that so let's keep that up uh just be sure to spread the word i know dynasty is fairly uncommon but also the community once you get into it is extremely passionate about it which is why we started this in the first place so spreading the word would be fantastic make sure you follow me on twitter at ret underscore bauer follow the show at punt intended pod and last but certainly not least sports ethos is looking for some dynasty writers you would be you can be as flexible as you want there are obviously we're just looking for consistency i have a lot of tools already set up that gets data together I just don't have all of the time necessary to consistently write one article a week on top of the podcast. And now my wife is starting a master's degree that gets done in a year. So we will be uh, strapped for time even more so than what having three kids and another job uh, brings to the table. So if you are interested in that, please let me know on Twitter. Like I said, at Rhett underscore Bauer, I'll probably give you a small task, something to write and just so I can see where you're at. I'll be managing slash editing that. However you uh, present your content is up to you. Uh, I just want to help you along and make sure that I can put any finishing touches on it and get it out into the world. That way you can start building your portfolio and eventually maybe you just host pun intended every once in a while too. That would just be great. So come join me. Let's get into some of these names. So last episode, I talked about the pre-deadline trade targets that I called out. And so I don't want to talk about all of them, but I will say that all of the shallow league calls I had, Trey Murphy, Pat Will, uh, DeAndre Eaton, Michael Porter Jr., and J-Dub are all producing better than what they were pre-deadline. 
And the only two that aren't are Sadiq Bey and John Collins, who are now on the same team. And boy, are they cannibalizing each other. So I feel pretty good about that. I had three cells, Trey Jones, Julius Randle, Bull Bull. Uh, Trey Jones is on the Spurs. That's their being utterly ridiculous right now. Randall, just a slight slide and then bull bull. We all knew that was coming. So feel pretty good about those calls, but we are here to look at, I have, I have two criteria, two different groups that these guys fall in. So one is just the biggest risers in the top 300. So if you are ranked in the top 300 post deadline, I grabbed your ranking pre deadline. And if you made the biggest jump, you are on my list. So we've got guys like Chris Dunn, who obviously was not ranked pre deadline because he wasn't playing anywhere pre deadline. Same thing with Jay Crowder. Uh, so those two guys are kind of in their own world of jumping up that much because they just simply weren't playing. Chris Dunn, I think, is a little bit more uh real i'm putting air quotes up because he is a guy that we've seen have some sort of fantasy relevance but honestly just didn't look great and obviously a couple teams gave up on him but now he's playing 23 minutes a game for the jazz and he's 11 points four boards five assists one steal good percentages like 1.3 turnovers for that much that many assists like that's just an overall pretty good line so it'll be interesting to see what becomes of him uh once the season is over obviously the jazz have a lot going on but he's a guy that could just stick as a backup point guard somewhere and 23 minutes a game is not that crazy so uh pretty pretty intrigued with him jay crowder we know what he is he's only at 219th on the season but that just so happens to be 281 spots up from 500 which is where i made the cutoff if you are beyond 500 i just kept it at 500 because that's just that's just silly. So a couple other guys that uh, are actually like were playing pre-deadline, but jumped up a big amount. Ochai Akbaji. I liked Ochai mostly just because I thought he would be a three and D wing that would just play a bunch. Like he was a guy, I think I said in my rookie blurbs before the season started, I was like, Ochai does not have a very good fantasy friendly game. The only thing that he has going for him is minutes per game, because he's likely going to end up a guy who just plays 25 minutes a night. And obviously he's only playing 15 minutes a night for the jazz. And he has some rough stretches, but as a whole, he is playing 15 more minutes a night. He's hitting one and a half threes more per night, and he's taking six more shots. Like those are all really good, really good things to 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 like about a guy. Like obviously, there's you want him to be more efficient, which isn't there yet. But he's getting to the line a little bit more, and he's hitting those at a better rate. So Ochai, he was struggling early in the year, which has a lot to do with his with his four hundred ninth. Uh, nine cat rating for the first four months of the season, but kind of turning it around as of late. And so uh, I mean, obviously he was picked in the lottery. He was picked as a ready to contribute guy. I thought the Cavs should have kept him out of the Donovan Mitchell trade because they had such a sore spot at the three, but obviously you're not going to let Akbaji be the stopping point of Danny age and uh, Donovan Mitchell when the Knicks are looming. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty Pretty excited to see what he does. I don't think he's going to be any more than just 3 and D. Like, I don't see him creating shots. I don't see him doing much other than being more of a role player. But again, deep leagues, that can have value. So hopefully you did not uh, sell all of your Akbaji stock in like 30-team leagues where this jump in production is pretty huge. Probably led to some pretty... um, 
productive uh, playoff matchups, assuming your studs were healthy. Next up is a guy that should not be surprising. And I, I was slamming the table for the Mavs to play this dude the entire year because their future was so bleak. Their young prospects were so, it was Josh Green and that's it. And that is Jaden Hardy for the Dallas Mavericks. But pre-deadline, he was 388th for 9-cat. And that was mostly just because he was barely playing. After deadline, he is 195th. He's playing 11 more minutes a game, getting six more points. He's seeing two more threes than he was before the deadline. That's like, it's a huge, huge jump. 1.3 boards, 1.6 assists. Like these are all more than what he was doing pre-deadline. So he's just up across the board doing better. Um, And I, I don't see his role being minimized any moving forward. Like I I suppose if the Mavs bring back Kyrie and they make another move to get another ball handler in there that could maybe play a little bit more defense. Cause that's, that's not what Hardy's going to do. He's six, four with a six, nine wingspan, which is impressive, but Hardy, he's just, he's just an offensive. I was going to say engine, but I don't know if he's quite an engine yet. Uh, He's just a, he's just a, Bucket. He just gets buckets and he's shooting the ball very, very well. I think he's shooting 40% from three off the bounce and on catch and shoot, which is extremely rare and very important when you're playing next to Luka Doncic. And there's a chance that the, the Mavs use him as an asset in a trade to get Luka some more help, um, which then I assume at that point, Hardy would be um, – valued by the team that he's going to because of what he's shown since then. So I am excited to see what he can do as a guy who was a, like one of the top five prospects of last year's draft class and then struggled in the G league and then was knocked for it because he was, his production was being compared to college players while the competition level wasn't the same. I don't know. I really think that uh, we as an evaluation community need to, change the way we look at how players do in the G league, like for the G league ignite. Um, It's just one of those, like, it's not the same league. It's not college. So why are we treating his production like college? Like, yeah, he was inefficient. He was creating all of his own shots. Like if you watched shot selection was an issue, but towards the end of the year, his shot selection was a lot better. His efficiency was better. He was making better passes to have to return overs. Like, I don't know. We just need to evaluate G league just a little bit differently than we do college and not make it like a one for one. Uh, next on the list, Matisse Thibel. He was a guy that I called out as a deep league dynasty uh, target because we know what he does and it just so happens he's doing it in Portland. Um, He is actually 100th over the last couple weeks and he's playing 15 more minutes. You know, it's not points. It's not rebounds. He's actually hitting 1.1 more threes in that stretch, which is awesome. But really you're here because he has 0.8 more blocks and 0.5 or 0.8 more steals, excuse me, 0.5 more blocks in that time. That's that's what he's good for. I mean, he's low volume, but decent percentages, and he's just a stocks machine. And so uh, heading into restricted free agency this summer, I am intrigued with where he might go. He is still a defensive specialist. He will not be in closing lineups very much, but he's so disruptive on the defensive end that I just can't help but feel like there's going to be a team that pays him and plays him accordingly. Um, I know that I would be 
pretty excited to have a defensive playmaker like him on the Indiana Pacers to let Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin get out and transition more. But uh, that we'll leave that alone for the offseason. Next is Josh Akogi, which should not be a surprise for anybody. He was 316th before the deadline. He's 130th since then. Kevin Durant going out and or the Suns trading all of their depth for Kevin Durant and then Kevin Durant going out uh, meant Josh Kogi is got way more run, but he was also finding himself as the fifth starter slash closer with uh, the few games that Kevin Durant was healthy. So, you know, he's just playing 16 more minutes a game, seven points, 1.3 threes, uh, rebound assist, you know, decent percentages. He's just a, a solid contributor. I, like Dakoji, and then he was buried in Minnesota, and I don't know why I let him fall off my radar when I know how terrible of an organization is Minnesota, uh, how terrible of an organization Minnesota is, goodness, when it comes to just developing guys and putting them in proper context, which is hilarious because they did the exact wrong thing that Anthony Edwards needed by bringing in Rudy Gobert and to stunt his development, but he made the most of it, and not only that, uh, exploded this year uh, while Cat was out. But yeah, Josh Kogi for the Suns. Pretty interesting. Uh, last and not least for the group that was outside of uh, like the normal, uh, normal everyday fantasy names, Zach Collins was 223rd prior to the deadline, is 49th for Nine Cat since then. Um, you know, there is there is some uh, Spurs are tanking. They're not good, but they also traded away Jakob Bertel. And Zach Collins since then has been playing eight and a half more minutes. He's taking six more shots, turning that into seven more points, 1.3 more threes, getting two and a half more boards, 1.4 extra assists, 0.7 steals, 0.2 extra blocks. He has such a fantasy friendly game and we've known this forever, but he was so injured for so long that again, another guy that just fell off some radars. And um, I don't think this level of production is legit because I don't think he's a starting caliber player in this league, uh, but I think he's proving how productive he can be in a 25 minute a night type of role. And I don't see why that couldn't be a thing. Um, you know, it, it's going to depend so much on what the Spurs do uh, moving forward because, you know, they're they're in a position to have some pretty good draft picks. And But Zach Collins only playing about 29 minutes a game post-deadline. And like I said, I don't think that is very realistic for him moving forward. But even before the uh, – even before the deadline, when he was playing 20 minutes a night, obviously that was good for 223rd. That's not going to be good enough unless it's a deep league, but still pretty, pretty interesting um, boost in production there. So maybe sell high this summer. I don't know. People are probably wary of the Spurs. And so maybe you just want to hold on when uh, good young centers are pretty hard to come by. Xavier Tillman, obviously huge boost because Steven Adams has been out. He's playing like a top 100 player since the deadline. Uh, a lot of extra points uh, or 
a lot of extra minutes, uh, extra boards, assists, steals, blocks. So, you know, everything came up once minutes went up and that's just kind of how a guy like that goes. But the last guy who was outside the top 300 and jumped up 168 spots is Shaden Sharp. He's only playing five more minutes a game, but he's scoring four more points, hitting 0.83s, 1.2 extra assists, a half a steal, almost a half a block on improved efficiency despite the improved volume. Shaden Sharp looks really, really good. I don't know what the heck the Blazers are doing because they are trying to win, yet somehow end up with the same record as teams like Orlando and Indiana who have had a comparable in injuries but worse talent, and yet they're in the same boat when it comes to draft positions. That's just odd, but no doubt that... When the uh, lead draft analyst for ESPN leaves that position and then joins a team and then that team drafts the guy who was probably the most unknown draft prospect ever because we had like six games of high school slash trap AAU like it's just it's just that whole situation is crazy but Shaden Sharp jumping way up the board. Okay, so I said I had a couple buckets. This is the next one. These are players who were already inside the top 150, but made huge jumps from there. And that is best exemplified by my guy, J-Dub, Jalen Williams, probably our guy, Jalen Williams now, because this dude is a freaking beast. He was 116th pre-deadline. He has been the 20th best player in nine cat since the deadline, playing four and a half more minutes, Six extra points, a half an extra three, 1.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists, half a steal, and better percentages on higher volume without adjusting, without any extra turnovers. He is insane. And I was I was DMing with Matt Lawson the other day, and I, I had been saying for a while, I was like, I think Jalen Williams might end up like a Gordon Hayward type player, where he's just consistent across the board. And doesn't hurt you anywhere, just does a bunch of everything. It's just a really, really good two-way player. And and Matt was like, well, I mean, Hayward never got these kind of steals. And so then I got thinking about it. I was like, you know what Hayward is with elite steals? That's Kawhi Leonard. Because that is exactly the kind of elite, elite efficiency from the field and from the line despite high-volume scoring. Good rebounding, good assists elite 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 steals with decent blocks and decent threes with low turnovers that is Kawhi Leonard I'm not saying Jalen Williams is going to be Kawhi Leonard but for fantasy he is trending towards that kind of profile it will be interesting to see what happens with him as OKC gets better I think he is a he's a lock for 32 minutes a game, no matter what they do. He's too good on both ends of the floor. He fits in with everybody. He can play alongside Shea and Giddy as the third ball handler connector piece, or he can just be the backup point guard for this team. He's incredible. Absolutely love it. And uh, I'm really, really hoping that you guys took my, took my advice and, and said to uh, approach his uh, approach him with, uh, extreme prejudice heading into the trade deadline because man, you probably won your league if that's what happened. Next is Tyrese Tyrese Maxey, and I will admit I struggle with Tyrese Maxey because I just don't always see 
the superstar set, set, stat set that it seems like a lot of other people do. And I might be seeing it now because uh, he is up from the, let's see, where was he at? He was the 123rd best player pre-deadline. Post-deadline, he's been the 31st best player, uh, playing 34 minutes a night, scoring 22 points on pretty good efficiency, hitting three I'm sorry, not 24 points, 22 points, three threes, three boards, three assists, one steal, 53% from the field on 15 shots, and then 92% from the line on three attempts a game with 1.1 turnovers. I don't think either of those shooting numbers are very real, but we've seen that he can have hot stretches, and I think his free throw percentage the last couple of years has been oddly down. Um so yeah, there's there's definitely a path there. I try to stay away from players who rely solely on high volume efficient scoring because then if they if they aren't hitting their shots, then your field goal percent is tanked, your threes are tanked, and your points are tanked, and they don't get very many steals or blocks or rebounds or assists. And so you're you're tanking three categories at once if they don't end up hitting those shots on that night. So obviously over a season long sample size, that's not that big of a deal, but in a weekly sample size where you might have two, three, four games that can matter if somebody hits a cold stretch. So that's just kind of why I try to, I tend to be biased against players whose peripheral stats just aren't fantastic, but Maxi looks good, man. He's, he's good. And Harden could potentially bounce back to Houston for whatever reason. Cause he's scared of, actually winning something and wants to go back to where he's comfortable and worshiped sure whatever um so yeah it's going to be very very interesting to see what happens with maxi moving forward uh next couple guys uh emmanuel quickly made a huge 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 jump um he's just hitting more shots that's kind of that's kind of all that is um he's playing a couple extra minutes he's closing games he's handling the ball more and his defensive stats are a little bit up, but his, his efficiency is what's jumped in with a little bit more uh, opportunity as well. Jakob hurdle has been insane. Um, I don't know how real it is. I, I don't know. He's another guy that I, I struggle to think is not good. He's obviously good, but um, he's just, he's playing, 28 minutes a night for the Raptors, which isn't that surprising um, since that's about what he was with the Spurs. Uh, 14 points, 10 boards, two and a half assists, 1.4 steals, 1.5 blocks, 66% from the field, uh, and 1.2 turnovers when we know where he's a huge detriment in the free throw percentage category. I 1.4 steals is a lot for him. 1.5 blocks is probably a little bit low, but we know how much a huge, huge jump in defensive stats from a small sample can really just screw things up. So I don't think, I mean, he's in Toronto, which means he might have less of the silliness that the Spurs did. Um, and they are trying to win games. So it's very likely that he stays there. He has the same role, whatever. Um, so that's good. Uh, Derek White, Josh Hart, both up from about the 100 range into the top 50, which is awesome. Josh Hart's actually doing that on three less minutes a game, but his defensive stats and efficiency are up while his points and threes are up. So that's obviously going to have a lot to do with that. Uh, Markel Fultz, you know, you weren't going to get away with him jumping up so much and not me not talking about him. He's actually up to around top 50 value post deadline. Um, he's playing four minutes extra a game, scoring four more points, 
getting one more rebound, another half of an assist. Steals and blocks are barely up. Efficiency's holding despite an extra three shots and three free throw attempts, and turnovers haven't really gone up. So he's, I mean, you guys know how I feel about Fultz, but I I genuinely don't think that 33 minutes a game, 16 points, five boards, 6.2 assists, 1.6 steals, half a block on 49% from the field, 87% from the line. The free throw shooting is probably a little bit high, and I don't know how I feel about him getting 16 points. That seems like a lot, and obviously all of this is thrown out of the window if the Magic end up getting uh, Scoot Henderson. But I don't love any of the other guards in the draft at the, like in the top 10 and the magic seem to really, really like Markel Fultz. They talk about him a ton. seems like all the beat reporters want to talk. Like it's just, there's so much about him that they seem to like. And so, Hey, why, why shouldn't we like him too? Uh, a guy, a guy that I did talk about, um, targeting prior to the deadline was a guy deandre ayton i have been trying to buy deandre ayton everywhere because people look at his top 50 consistency over the last three years and they see no improvement and that's just not true his stocks have just gone down not his value stock although i guess his value stock also went down but his defensive stats just kept falling he was getting like half a block how are you a center playing 30 minutes a game and getting half a block when you're DeAndre Ayton, you're a physical freak. That is no longer the case. He's playing 1.7 extra minutes. His scoring is down. His his rebounding is down. His assists are down, but his steals and his blocks are up 0.3 and 0.4 while his efficiency is, is barely up. So if you look at it, like that 0.3 and that 0.4 is the difference between him being a top 70 player and the top 25 player. Cause he's getting 0.8 steals and 1.1 blocks. That's still not quite where he could be for his blocks. Like he could easily end up at 1.5, like he was his rookie year. And then what we're looking at a top 20 player. I don't know. I obviously steals and blocks are pretty inconsistent. Like you don't want to rely on them a ton, especially when you, you know, you have two whole seasons of them playing the same defense and you know that it doesn't lead to a defensive playmaking from Aiden, but this is just a glimpse. He can do it. Like he didn't forget how to block shots. He didn't forget how to play make on defense. So another guy that I am excited to see do the things that we have been wondering why he wasn't doing. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. up a little bit as well. Last uh, out of this top 150 group up from 118 to 84, not playing anymore. He's just hitting more shots and is getting a little bit more uh, steals. And that's really all that it takes for a guy like that to have a big jump in the one from the one twenties to like the eighties. Cause you know, if you're just doing a little bit of everything across the board and you're hitting a couple more shots, everything's going to rise. You're just going to end up jumping your way up there. I really like Wendell Carter. It seems like the magic really like Wendell Carter. Again, they could screw all of this up with the draft. And then what do we do? I don't know. <laughs> so, um, He's a good player, though. Good on both ends. Solid. And another guy who just doesn't get defensive stats for some reason. But uh, I would I would not be surprised if he ended up as a guy who would get, like, I don't know, 0. 0.7 steals and point. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? He's got to get a block, right? He's got to get a block. So, anyways, Wendell Carter Jr., good player. So now we are going to get into the biggest fallers, and that is with no criteria at all. It is literally who fell the most. And 
almost all of these are injury related because Zion was 62 pre-deadline. Obviously, he fell a ton because he hasn't played since then. Cade, same deal. Poku, same deal. Otto Porter, Steven Adams, Justice Winslow. But then you get into the LeBron James, who fell from 18th to 296th. And that is because uh, not only was he playing six minutes less, and so he was taking six less shots, but his uh, free throw percentage was... or his free throw and field goal percentage were just atrocious. So I don't take very much of this other than the fact that if his foot was really that jacked up and he coming, he's coming back to play on it. Like yikes, that that's just not what I would want. Uh, if, if I was a, a, a stockholder of LeBron James in a dynasty league, because that I just can't imagine that that's good for his long-term, even if I get it from this season's perspective and them trying to make the playoffs. But and then there's John Wall. So a lot of these guys aren't like super useful pieces, but when you get into the players that fell out of the top 150, that is where we will see the most important uh, players fall the most. Okay, so Thomas Bryant fell from 117 all the way to 385 because he's playing 11 fewer minutes a game. Thomas Bryant's not good. Like he's, he's just not a good defensive player. He is a product of playing on a team that needed cheap production. He's, I think he's better than the 385th fantasy player because I don't think he's in a position where he's going to play a bunch, but he's not, I don't even think he's a backup big. I think he's a third big and energy big. I would not be surprised if he didn't average 20 minutes a game for the rest of his career, quote unquote. I He's young, sure, but I just don't, I don't think he's very good, and that's a huge bummer. On the other hand, Jalen McDaniels had a similar drop of 260, uh, 200 to 260 spots from 122 to 329, but he is just playing 11 fewer minutes a game, which means he's scoring five less points, one less three, two less rebounds, one and a half less assists, 0.8 fewer steals, 0.4 fewer blocks, and then everything else going down too. So all of that is a product of the playing time and he's in Philly where they're trying to win. And I don't think uh, doc rivers can handle the Anthony Melton and Jalen McDaniels at the same time. That's just too much chaos on the court. He just can't handle it. So he uh, just hasn't been playing Jalen McDaniels despite I think Jalen's pretty good, but Jalen is an unrestricted free agent this summer. This should not deter you at all from considering him a top 200, probably top 170 dynasty asset. You guys know how I feel about Jaden McDaniels. Jalen is just like a slight step below that because I don't think he has as much offensive juice, but even still, he's a good two-way player. He has some wrinkles in his game that he needs to iron out, but I have no doubt that he is going to end up on a team like the Pacers who need a wing badly and who are rumored to be pursuing him at the trade deadline before that he was moved from Charlotte to Philly. So He's going to pick where he can go, and I guarantee you he is going to go for the place where he can set himself up for the next contract after this one where he can get 25 minutes a night, and when he does that, he will jump all the way back up into the top 120. Uh, Another faller, Victor Oladipo, that's just injury circumstance. He hasn't really been great. That's a huge bummer. Yusuf Nurkic falling 173 spots from 95 to 270 is concerning i have nurk in a couple places he's playing four fewer minutes but he's just down everywhere including efficiency despite fewer shots he just has not looked good 
And the fact that the Blazers signed him for the contract that they did, uh, I thought it was immediately bad because there were a ton of years on it. Four years for him has improved. He can stay healthy. Uh, maybe a buy low if you are in a shallower league and you can take his injury risk. But in deep leagues, I like in a 30 team league, it would have to cost me a, a, a player that's not super young and doesn't have a ton of upside in like the 150 ish range to want to trade for Nurk. Like I would send a, uh, uh, Norgain Finney Smith. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Would you rather have Bobby Portis or Yusuf Nurkic? That is an actual question, I think. And that's just a, that's just not where you want to be. Ben Simmons, this is injury and everything. It's, it is, Awful that he's been so injured and so banged up out the rest of the season with back injury. He's starting rehab. Like it's just, it's rough. And I have Simmons stock just about everywhere. So I'm really hoping he gets back. Um, And I'm glad that he is taking the time now to get a head start on that. And hopefully he can come back next year and reestablish himself as at least a good player. Probably not an all-star level player again. Anthony Simons playing time and efficiency issues dropped from 68 to 223. The Blazers have been atrocious. They're now shutting everybody down. Um, I don't understand that team, like I've said before, but I'm not worried about his fantasy stock. If anything, it might be going up because it seems like Dame's getting tired of rebuilding. And that is the only thing that the Blazers end up doing despite trying to be good because they just aren't. Um, Bull Bull talked about him huge bummer uh but not actually because i didn't invest in him anywhere and i was trying to tell you guys not to do that either uh alfred shingun dropping from the 66th ranked player pre-deadline to the 188th best player post-deadline he is playing more minutes but he's scoring less fewer rebounds fewer blocks and worse percentages on worse volume and that is just I don't know what to make of Sengun, honestly, because it seems like he's very productive and then he doesn't play very much. And then the the Rockets don't seem to prioritize him. For, I, I don't know. He's playing 29 minutes a game, 13 points, eight boards, four assists, 0.9 steals, 0.6 blocks, 51% from the field, 61% from the line, 2.6 turnovers. I, I, do not think Alperin Shingun is a is the elite dynasty asset that a lot of other people in the community do. I have him ranked higher than where I would actually take him because I do not trust the Houston Rockets, A, to be a competent organization that functions properly, but B, I they have so much going on that I don't know if they will put Shingun in the place to be returning that level of investment. And not only, not just that, I don't think Shingun's like, I, I don't know if he's going to end up being a good enough defender to do all of the things he needs to do on offense. I'm watching this playoff specifically to see if Jokic and Sabonis can do it because those are two extremely high end outcomes for Shingun that who knows we we will have to see what happens there is he outside the top 180 as a fantasy player no is he inside the top 70 uh, i i don't know for sure but 
uh, either way, he is sliding down, but not in a way that has me like overly concerned with his dynasty value because I wasn't buying too much of him to begin with. Call me crazy. Bobby Portis dropped a bunch playing time and efficiency. Um, I think Bobby Portis is very good. Brooke Lopez had back surgery and has looked incredible, but he's still 36. Uh, I just think Bobby Portis is a valuable player who does a little bit of everything and can play the four and the five. That's just extremely valuable in this league. So I, I wouldn't think a 115 spot drop in the last couple of weeks would be a huge hit to his dynasty value, but it will be interesting to see what the, Bucks offseason looks like they don't have a lot of moves to make and they don't have a lot of salary to move, but Bobby Portis might be one of them. Maybe they try to do something with that. I don't know. I think Bobby Portis is good. Dorian Finney-Smith, he was playing a lot in Dallas. Now he's playing less in Brooklyn because they have a bunch of him. <laughs> they have a bunch of two-way wings and they just don't need very much from him. I would imagine that going into next year, probably two of Dorian Finney-Smith Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Royce O'Neal are on different teams. So I would not be worried about this. I would actually try to buy DFS. He's 30 and he doesn't do a lot, but it's probably not going to cost very much. And we know he is a valuable player in this league that can do a little bit of everything and that has a place in deep leagues. Alex Caruso, it just took a hit, uh, you know, he's just doing a little less. Patrick Beverly showed up and took over the point guard duties. Uh, Caruso's not a huge, huge deal there. And then three bigger names. All right. So Devin Vassell down 83 spots. I am not worried about Vassell at all. Uh, he's playing fewer minutes. He's taking fewer shots. They, and then his efficiency is down as well from both the field and the line. He's just not a guy I'm worried about. I will if I'm in your league, come approach me if you want to get rid of a cell, because I, I promise you I will pay for him. Uh, he's very, very good. He's a very good real-life player. He's a very, very good fantasy player, and I am not worried about what the Spurs do, because Vassell can do anything on the floor. He is a J-Dub type fit in that he can play with or without the ball. We've seen it this year. He can create his own shot. He can create some shots for others. He's good on defense, multiple positions on and off the ball has good instincts and is good defensive playmaker. I am not worried about the cell. I do think his ceiling will be capped by how much he gets to play with the ball versus playing more of a second or third option on offense. But who knows? We will see what that looks like. I'll still be buying the cell stock, uh, for the foreseeable future. This one hurts. This hurts a lot. DeJounte Murray uh, down from the 26th ranked player pre-deadline. Pretty good. To the 104th best player post-deadline. Pretty not good. Um, this is, it's kind of it's kind of weird, honestly, because he's he's only down like a minute or so. He's still playing at 36 minutes a game. He's still scoring 18 points a game, a little over three, five boards, six assists, 1.2 steals, but he's shooting 44% from the field and 80% from the line with 1.8 turnovers. And so he is really only a positive right now in points, rebounds, and assists, or points, assists, and threes, the steals. Sorry, goodness gracious. That's just not, that's just not going to be good enough. And I'm a little surprised at the dip in volume leading to a dip in efficiency as well. 
to the point where I'm inclined to bias aside because you do know I love DeJounte Murray. I'm inclined to believe that his, this is not a real dip, but it does show how reliant DeJounte can be on either high volume uh, points, rebounds, assists, and and steals, quite frankly, because 1.2 steals is a huge disappointment for him. I bet if he was at if he was at 1.7 steals, we would be uh, in a much different conversation with him. I'm actually going to see what that would look like um, because I'm I'm interested on in seeing what his nine cap value would be if he was at 1.95 uh, blocks. Let me see one second. Um, while I type this up and look at it, he would be more in the, yeah. So if he was up to his normal, like 1.6, 1.7 blocks, he'd be in the top 70. So we do know how fickle stat, uh, steals can be. And so I'm not trying to make excuses, but this does show the flaws in his fantasy game that I admit exist. I just, I just think he's good enough in in some cases where uh he just he can make his make his way through it because right now he's such a drag on field goal percentage and i just don't think that that's real despite um him not ever being like a true positive in that category uh and plus it looks like atlanta's due for some huge shakeups Deshante's going to be a re- unrestricted free agent after next season with no chance of an extension before then so I imagine wherever DeJounte chooses to go, he is going to be in a similar role where he does have the volume that he needs, quote unquote. And then um, obviously he's going to continue to develop. So hopefully we can see some efficiency uh, creep back up and then he's back into the top 50 like uh, like he should be. Last and not least, John Collins. I really like John Collins. His shot is starting to come back, but the arrival of Sadiq Bay and the switch from Nate McMillan to Quinn Snyder has led to more wingy units uh, with more Sadiq Bay at the four. Um, DeAndre Hunter at the four, however you want to, however you want to look at it. They're playing actual like modern basketball rather than a tweener big at the four, like John Collins, despite me thinking he's actually good. He's playing fewer minutes. Um, he's actually, almost as efficient from the field and is improved efficient his efficiency from the line despite lower volume he's got to be out of there this summer and that was my whole basis for for targeting him as a buy is i just think he's good and i think his finger injury really jacked up his shot and if his shot isn't falling it's especially hard for him to be out there in the role that they want him to play with clint capella as the primary roller and I just think some team is going to go out of their way, trade for John Collins and be happy with him as the starting power forward and the backup center. It, it could be the Pacers. It could be, I know the Suns were really interested. I think the Spurs were interested as well. I don't know. I th- I think John Collins is good. He's obviously probably overpaid, but his contract is going to become a bargain the further it gets into it as all of these other players and similar, like the similar tier uh, start to get, free agent contracts as the salary cap goes up. So those were a lot of the biggest fallers from the top 150, the biggest risers from top 150, and then the biggest risers and fallers just overall across the map. If there was somebody that you want to know about or somebody you want some more detail on that might've risen or fallen and and a bit uh, deeper analysis on why that might be beyond just looking at the, you know, pre minus post, 
let me know on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. And again, let me know if you are interested in writing some dynasty stuff. Um, there is definitely a, a vacancy for you here at sports ethos. And I'll be more than happy to, uh, bring you along, work with you and spend probably way too much time talking about this sort of stuff. So thank you very much for tuning in. We will see you again next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.